Thanks for coming out and uh, sharing this time with me this day. I trust that the Lord is going to lead us and guide us in something that would be helpful to us. So if we could just begin with a word of prayer. Lord, we're just asking you to lead and guide today that you would speak to us and that your spirit would make a deposit in us, God, that would lead us to something transformational, that transition is a part of our lives. We go through all kinds of transition, but a divine transition is a unique transition because it's something that God starts and begins. And Lord, we want to see you move. We want to see what you can do. And so give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying. And we give you thanks for that today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I, I want to give you just a little bit of my background so you'll know who I am. I'm pastoring currently in Katy, Texas. Um, wasn't planning on pastoring in Katy, Texas. I had uh, served in a supervisory role with the Foursquare denomination which is a classical Pentecostal denomination, oversaw six states of churches, probably about 150 churches that I oversaw, responsible for training churches to plant, start new churches, to take churches that were stuck and get them back on task on their mission and different things like that, and handle the ugly stuff that happens in church life, and, which is not the favorite thing at all, but gives you a lot of experience and background. My education is in uh, strategic leadership. So I think that way, and I think that God does too. He has a plan he's been working since before the foundation of the world. So he's very intentional. And so in this process, I just kind of want you to know where I'm coming from, but in spite of the fact of the amount of experience that you may have or the amount of education you may have, it all falls back to one thing. If you're not led by the Holy Spirit, it doesn't matter what you know and what you've experienced. Amen. And that we could get off track at any time. And it becomes very, very important that we are in sync with what God is doing and we're discovering what he's up to so that we join him and not always trying to talk him in to join the plan that we're creating. I want to be a part of what God's up to. It's extremely important. I'm in that season of my life where I'm old enough now that I know that I'm not finished, but I can see the finish line from here. And the scripture says things like, teach me to number my days so that I may apply my heart to wisdom. I want to live by the wisest choices at this stage of my life that I could possibly live by. I want to hit the nail on the head. I want to go out making the greatest contribution that I can. And I happen to believe that all of life experiences will combine for us to make our greatest contribution at a certain time in life. And so that's for all of us in here. And that we're supposed to carry something from the Lord into every situation that changes things. I don't want to have just a talk. I don't want to just teach a lesson. I really would like for God to make a deposit in my life and your life that I'm here as much to receive from God as you are. And I know that I have to do something. I have to get empty of myself if I'm going to make room for God. John the Baptist said it this way, I have to decrease if he's going to increase. It's the only way that you're going to get there. 
And when we talk of making new wine, that picture up there describes it the best. It's going to require a crushing or you can't get there. It's going to require God to get his hands on you and squeeze us in such a way that we get empty of all of our ideas because God doesn't have to keep repeating it the same way that we've always done it. In fact, sometimes we're stuck because we did things that once worked that are not working now, but because they were important and precious to us, we keep doing those kind of things. We'll talk about that. So I'm gonna talk about leading a divine transition. We go through all kinds of transitions in life, lots of changes. One of my biggest changes was when I married my wife. Things changed. It transitioned. Transitions are repetitious. I've buried all my family at this point in time. Those are transition. We, life is full of transitional moments. But not everything is a divine transition. Not everything is one of those changes that is initiated by God where you have to lay it down. Has it been your experience? It has been mine that God repetitiously throughout my life requires me to give it all up all over again. And I know it's coming and I try to prepare for it, but he has the capacity to get me where I will surrender everything again. And so these changes are moves of the spirit that we're talking about. The real new wine is that which God creates. It's the kind of transition we're briefly going to look at that Jesus did when he performed the greatest transition on earth. He transitioned the kingdom economy from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and it changed things so radically that the religious people of the day tried to murder him for it. All change is not received well. And sometimes we religiously will stand against a new breath of life that God's wanting to bring. And so I know that uh, the best way we can lead a transition that God initiates is to know how to follow well. <laughs> the best leader is the best follower of God. And I wanna know how to follow really, really well at this time. But by the way, he is on the move. <laughs> he's up to something. I just wanna discover what he's doing and I want to join him. And there are always things that have to be done before God. He always prepares the way of the Lord. And so I'm gonna talk about that briefly, a preparational process. What I'm gonna share with you today is an introduction. It's the best I can do in this amount of time. I am gonna provide something if you're interested. This thumb drive has five sessions of this teaching. And on those five sessions, there are four items for you if you want it. I'm gonna charge you $25, it's about as cheap as it gets. Each session has the PowerPoint, it has an audio of me teaching it, it has my presenter notes, and it has the workbook. So that's 20 items that are on there if you want that to study a little bit deeper through what I'm talking about. This is the introduction. So, there are two kinds of moves of God and I'll call your attention to your notebooks here in a minute. There are those moves that well, some of us have experienced that bring revival and refreshing and renewal. But then there are the big ones. They're called restorational moves. That's where God adds something back to the church that was lost. And believe me, 
that New Testament church lost something because we see John in the book of Revelations leaving the planet, screaming to the top of his lungs that heresy is entering into the church. They're talking the doctrines of Balaam and all those kind of things. And if you're a student of history, the church went into a time that was called the Dark Ages. And it lost many of those basic doctrines that are recorded in Hebrews chapter 6. But God on the move would restore one of those great doctrines to the church and a revival would break out. So repentance from dead works was restored back to the church with uh, Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation took place and it swept worldwide. That was a reformational move. There have been four of those reformational moves. I'm not going to go through all of those right now. And I believe we are poised for the next gigantic reformational move which will be a restoration of the doctrine called resurrection from the dead. Now we know what resurrection from the dead is, but here's the thing. When God restores something, we see it in a brand new light and the form and the function of the church changes every time a giant move of God takes place. They were going to the priest to confess after the Protestant Revolution. They went to God in the form and the function of the church changed with the doctrine that was being restored. I think God wants to restore something to us that will be that last resurrection of life before that final doctrine, the judgment, comes into play. God wants to get us ready to carry something that's bigger than we are. And we cannot have the pride of thinking that we're capable of it. We need a work on us. So this is the premise that I'm talking about today, everybody. It's this premise right here, and you can see it in your notes. That a healthy leader, you've got to be good with God. And a healthy strategy, you've got to know what God wants you to do, equals a healthy church. That's the only way you get there. You can be an unhealthy leader that has a good strategy, and the lack of health in the leader will destroy the strategy and sabotage it. You can be very healthy up to your prayer life and do the wrong things and sabotage yourself. We want to make sure that we're exactly where God wants us to be. And I know this because I've done it a lot, done it myself. A lot of times when I'm wanting to try to bring a change in the church, I start trying to create new plans, new structures, and I say the people aren't doing this, that, and the other. God never tells us that that's the starting place for a transformation to take place. He always says, get that beam out of your eye before you can get that speck out of their eyes. The starting place is us. It's you. It's me. I cannot carry what I do not have. I need God to impact me. And that's a key part of the strategy is that I understand what that crushing and broken because a broken and contrite spirit he will not despise. But out of brokenness flows a new stream of life. God started putting this on my spirit back in 2019. I was walking in the park and praying one morning and God said, I want you to tell people I'm going to make new wine. I want you to tell them that the old is used up and I'm ready for a new batch. 
And I said, he said, listen, there are going to be people that you're going to talk to and they're going to feel like they've been pulled and that they've been stretched to the point of being disjointed, like a grape that got plucked from the vine. That some of them are going to feel like they're disconnected from the very life and vitality of the thing that they believe in. That they are going to feel like they've been stepped on and crushed and pressed down at times. And they're going to think it was something bad happening to them, but it's going to be me making that new wine. It's going to be them coming to the end of themselves so that I can show up in the way that they've always dreamed of and they've always expected and loved to take place. And it's time for something new. And I knew that transition was on the way as God started to share that with me. And so this premise is very, very important. Healthy things grow, right? Healthy things grow. But the conditions have got to be right. You gotta have good sunlight, you gotta have good soil, you gotta have water. You don't have to convince a newborn baby to grow. They do it automatically, if the conditions are right, if they're clean, if they're loved, if they're cared for, the growth is automatic. Jesus said it like this, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't toil and they don't spin. And I thought, God, that's how I've tried to build church all my life fighting tooth and nail for everything. He says, that's because you're not leading in the spirit because when I build my church, the gates of hell can't prevail against me. My church is invincible, it's powerful. If you see my church, you're gonna talk about it different than you'll talk about your church. And I started to see that there's a real transition in what it is that God wants and that he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I think we have it. I don't think we see it sometimes that we're coded by the Lord to grow in the Lord. When I say grow, I'm not just talking about numbers. I'm not excluding that either. But I'm talking growing more like Jesus, becoming like him in every way. I'm talking about holistic growth that takes place and that it's extremely, extremely important. So this is the key scripture for the entire teaching that I want to bring. In Isaiah 65a, thus says the Lord, I like that statement because this is God talking. As the new wine is found in the cluster. Now you know where it is. It's in the cluster. That's where the new wine is. Our typical approach is the Holy Spirit is the new wine. That scripture just said the new wine is in the cluster. The cluster is the group. The new wine is in the congregation. It's the Holy Spirit inside all of those people that he has deposited in them in the forms of gifts and calling. They are gifts of the Spirit. If they are of the Spirit, they are the leading of God for that church. And I found that most people don't want to take the time and trouble to discover what God has deposited in their people. And the problem is, is they don't always want to cooperate. So they say, what do you do? Well, you keep asking them until they cooperate. That's it. That's the toughest part of our ministry is that we're equipping saints to do the work of the ministry so we can say, well, I've asked them a hundred times. Well, you've got to ask them a hundred and one because that's the call. We keep wanting to dig in, press in, get up out of them the new wine that deposited. And God told me, he said, there are barrels and barrels and barrels of new wine sitting out there in the seats of your congregation in the form of the deposits of the spirit that I put in them and I called them from the time they were in their mother's womb. And here's something about the new wine. 
Don't destroy it. You've got to protect it because that's where the blessing is. The blessing is in the new wine that's sitting inside the congregation. And this I do for my servant's sake. This is God's gift to us and to the church. This is for our sake that the Lord has made these deposits within our church. And that I may not destroy them. This is our protection, everybody. This is what makes the church the church. But listen, it takes a little strenuous work to dig all that out of them. But we've got some powerful, powerful skeletal structure of the church and apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Those five ministries functioning will make a church structured correctly. You hang the gifts of the Spirit just like he was preaching, like sinew on the skeletal structure and then the breath of the Holy Spirit breathes in it, and you've got functioning body right there. It's absolutely incredible what God has for us. And so this starts out by saying, thus says the Lord. And so the scripture says that we should walk circumspectly, redeeming the time. So the way we redeem the time and make the most use of our time is to make sure we're walking circumspectly or cautiously that we are doing the thing that God has asked us to do and we haven't created something for him to do for us. It's really a challenge because I have a lot of big ideas. And I really want God to sanctify them. But he's really not obligated to have to do that. And so I've got to, something's got to happen to me to where I'll say yes to anything that he wants. And so the move of God, you're familiar with it. We've called them all kinds of things through history. We've called them revival. We've called them renewals. We've called them awakenings. We've called it latter rain. We've called it an outpouring. We've called it fresh oil being released. And all of these are good. We call it the river of God. But Jesus kind of chose new wine a lot. It's a pretty interesting metaphor to take a look at. And we have become so good at talking about this that we even say, well, a revival is different than a renewal, which is different than an awakening. And we really filter it down. That a revival is reviving something that was dead. However, renewal is making things new that are old. And now God's going to renew it. And that awakening is people wake up and see something they never saw before. And here's what I've learned about the people that sit in my church. They don't care what any of that means. They just want God to touch them. They just want a move of God. They want to see something that really is God. And not something we're just talking them into. And this is what I've learned that our dilemma is. We try to create moves of God like we think we can. If I create it, then it's not a move of God. It's a move of Him. Only God can create a move of God. And that's why we must come to that place of desperate dependency upon Him. Nevertheless, we try anyway. This is one of my favorite. I call it the copycat approach. Find somebody that's successful, do what they do, and voila, you get what they get. And it never works. Because what you're doing is copying the approach of another man. You're copying what God told that man to do, not what God told this man or woman to do. You gotta have your own word from God. You gotta have what he's saying and that copying what other people do is not going to get you there. We cannot create moves of God, only God. And so the other thing is we try to 
discover and repeat. And by doing that, we study the old revivals of old. And we say, well, they did this and they did this. So if we do that, then we'll get the revival that they got. And then we find out that doesn't work either. Because every revival is for such a time as this. And every move of God, because he has a plan that he's moving along in history's timeline, this move was to create a step for the next move. And the next one may not look like the last one. But all of a sudden, we do this crazy sort of thing that I've noticed in life. And that is, well, well let, me, let me give you an illustration. I used to be a professional fishing guide. Let me just stop and thank the Lord. Fish tremble at the mention of my name. <laughs> and so I'm out on the lake guiding one day, and I watch this man up by the dam on Lake Kowakee in Texas, and he is having a revival. He is catching one fish after every pole is bending down. He's catching hybrid stroppers that long. He's doing the happy dance up there. I mean, he's whoo hoo ho. I mean, he is having revival. So the next day, I go back out, and he's back in the same place. He's using the same baits, the same techniques, same everything, and he's catching nothing. The next week, he's in the same place, using the same baits, and he's catching nothing. The next month, every time I go to the lake, he always goes back, repeats the same process, because he thinks he will recreate the day of the fishing revival, but the fish have moved on. We can't go back and repeat those things. But I do understand. I really do understand why we do that. But if we're not careful, we will worship methods instead of God. And the church has done that before, everybody. We know that that happened in Numbers 21 where Moses made a fiery serpent, right? And he put it up on a pole. And he said, everybody that comes and looks at it, they're going to be healed. That was a revival. That was a nation getting divinely healed of something. It was an incredible move of God. 500 years pass and Hezekiah walks into a pagan temple and there's that serpent of Moses and they are now worshiping it in a cultic form and fashion. The tool was being worshiped and the tool was not holy it was the method for the moment. It was the method for that move of God. But it may not be the method for the next movement of God. And I get this. I really do get it, and so do you. The old move was precious to us. I got saved that way. I got changed that way. So surely everybody must get saved and changed the way I did. And then it doesn't. I have a good friend down in Austin, Texas. His church just wasn't doing what he wanted to do. And his mind went back when he used to do tent revivals. And his wife played. Do you remember how the old organ sounded? You know, it's going. And so he said. It had to be a Hammond. It had to be a Hammond. <laughs> and he said, I'm going to do that. And he got her playing that. And all the young kids on the worship team started looking puzzled at each other. And they started giggling. Because they'd never seen anything like that. They weren't trying to be disrespectful. They had nothing to hang their knowledge on. And they're going, what is pastor doing? And it didn't create 
why you wanted it to create. That's why we got to go through a crushing, everybody. We got to get emptied of ourselves. Because we'll take things, this is a big one, that are precious to us, and we will lead our preferences rather than the leading of God. This is the big one. This is difficult. Now I want to say this, that all moves of God are transformations, first and foremost. And if something is transformed, it means there's going to be a traumatic change in its form and appearance. And so we're saying, God, bring transformations. Well, you got to know this. The way it's been being done is going to change if he transforms it. And it's going to look different than what it was looking. If something's transformed, it's going to change in form and appearance. Are we ready for that? By the way, you know revival's messy, right? You, you know when revival starts shaking and baking, the devil shows up, the flesh shows up, and the Spirit of God shows up. They all show up at the same time. It's not clean. So when it starts stirring, you know, it, I know of a church down in Houston, I mean, it had a move of God. And still, 22 years later, every Friday night, it still goes on. But when it started, the pastor called his supervisor and he said, can you come and sit in on this and tell me if this is God or not? An old pastor is full of wisdom. He said, what? he said amongst the craziest people in the room. And it started. And afterward the pastor said, what did you see, Doc? And he said, well, I saw God, I saw the devil, and I saw the flesh. He said, in every genuine move of God, the devil's going to try to do it. So you're going to have to bind and rebuke him. And at any time you get a bunch of people in the room, the flesh is going to act up. So you're going to have to discipline the flesh. And then you let that thing roll. So if you want it neat and orderly, don't pray for a revival. Because it's going to change the form and it's going to change in appearance every time. It's a transfiguration. It's a moment for the deity, for God to shine through. All of a sudden, as Jesus is transformed in front of them, the form and the appearance of everything to those disciples change radically in that moment. It's what we call a metamorpho or a metamorphosis. It's what happens as a caterpillar turns into a butterfly. It changes in form and appearance and abilities. That's a transformation. It is a divine transformation. It takes God to do that. Now having said that, I need to back up and say this. All moves of God are transitions. When transformations take place, things start to transition. And here's the difference in a transition. First of all, we're talking about one that's divine, one that's from God, not one that we create. A transition means a process of changing from one state or condition to another. And it's going to take God to do that. In other words, when you start transitioning, whether it's you personally, whether it's the church, whether it's the body of Christ at large, whether it's this gigantic restorational move, it's going to move from here to here. It's not going to stay where it's at. It's going to change in condition and its state. It's going to be different. From sin changes to righteousness, it's a huge change. When you go from cold to hot, it's a change. When you go from death to life, 
It's a change. It's a transition. And we know that because the scripture tells us this, that God brings transitions to create transformations. He wants to shift us to new places so new things can happen in us. And those new things may be new to us. They're not necessarily new to him, but it will look a whole lot like Jesus. Because that's the goal, right? To be conformed into his image and into his likeness. Uh -huh. So the word of God is the language of divine transitions. It just is. We, we hear it in the very beginning. We've all quoted the scripture. If anyone in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away, all things become new. That's just how it works when Jesus gets involved in things. Some old things are going to pass away and some old things are going to become new. There are things that I used to do that I no longer do because a transition occurred and a transformation happened in my life. And they're excessively important. So, here's what I'm saying. The language is clear. Old things pass away. All things become new. If we want revival, if we want to lead something that God is divinely doing, we're going to have to let some old things go. And we're going to have to let God do the new thing that He wants to do. Fear not, He will not violate His Word. But you may see the Word in a way you've never seen it before. And you've done that before, haven't you? You've read the Word, you like, I've never seen that before. So that shouldn't surprise us that He could do that and open our understanding to a broader revelation. But he will not violate his word in the process. But how do we do this? How, how is this going to happen? How is it going to come? And this is what I think it is. The simplicity of it is you follow Jesus. Just follow Jesus. He's not made it hard. He didn't make it hard in the garden. Just do what God says and you'll be okay. But instead, they used the knowledge of good and evil and tried to figure it out for you. Is this good for me? Is this bad for me? And they started this process that got them into deep trouble because they were trying to figure it out. If we're going to try to figure out the move of God, we're going to get in deep trouble. We're going to get our flesh all off into it. We're going to have to let him break us so we can hear him and let him do what he wants to do. So how are we going to do this? Well, Jesus is the prince of transitions. There's no one like him because... He transitioned the Old Testament to the New Testament. Biggest transition in history. The kingdom functioned differently from that point forward. And it was not a happy day for a lot of religious leaders when that happened. He moved from an old covenant to a new covenant. And this is what I like. An incredible change from the law of sin and death to the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And he led that incredible change. And it literally, and you know it because you've read the New Testament, you saw the Pharisees' response to what Jesus was doing. It changed how the kingdom functioned. It started looking different, and it started functioning different from that point forward. And that was no doubt a huge revival that was met with a lot of opposition. And Jesus himself described this transition in Luke 5, 12 through 39. And he said these words about it as he introduces new forms of ministry in that scripture. This is the one about new wine and new wineskins. 
And in that, before he says this, he starts introducing the new forms of ministry that the Pharisees had not seen before. It did not work under the Old Testament economy. The first thing he does is he heals a leper. In the Old Covenant, you're not supposed to touch those. And Jesus touched them. Now they're struggling because he's not... You, how, how you do that? I, this don't work. Then all of a sudden, he starts forgiving sins. Wait a minute, blasphemer. Only God can forgive sins. All of a sudden, God is showing up in a way and people are getting... He starts eating and drinking with sinners. Come out from among them and be separate. Don't touch them. Stay away from the sinner. All of a sudden, the economy is changing. They're struggling. They're ready to go to war. And then he celebrates and fulfills this prophecy about his disciples. They don't have to fast right now because the bridegroom's with them. All of a sudden, everything that they had had here years and years and years in history is being challenged by these new forms of ministry. And so as they're putting that out there, Jesus responds in this way. Don't you get it, guys? You can't put this new wine in those old wine skins. You can't put this new covenant in that old covenant. It's not going to work. Else the wine will burst the wine skins and be spilled and the wine skins will be ruined. If we try to put this fresh move of God that we're calling for into our old forms, it won't work. It won't carry it. But new wine must be put in new wine skins. The wine skin is just the delivery method, everybody. It's just fill it up. This is how you give the drink to people. It's the form that's going to supply. And both are preserved. Here's the challenge. And no one having drank the old wine immediately desires the new. Because the old way was better. As if God can't save the best wine for the last. I think there's a drink on the way for us. But I think we could be the biggest problem if we're not broken enough to accept whatever he chooses to bring, which will not, by the way, violate his word. It will actually awaken us, I think, to the word in a deeper way than we've ever seen before. And this is why repeating old forms never gives you what you've been wanting. Because our standard procedure is if we want new wine, this is the metaphor that Jesus used to describe that transition from the old to the new. I think it's a grid for personal discovery. I think it's a spiritual strategy or a development process to get us where he wants us to go. Am I going too fast for you? Someone told me, you're kind of like drinking from a fire hydrant. Because I'll get to going real fast. So how can these divine transitions occur today? Well, let me tell you this. The process is not for the faint of heart. If you want it to be easy, this isn't it. Because you're going to get dealt with. And so am I. 
It's not for people that want a quick fix. Have you discovered with me that conferences are not quick fixes? You know where most of the notebooks that I have are that of conferences I went to? They're on the shelf and I hadn't looked at them again. So this isn't for a quick fix. This is a process. And it requires brutal honesty. And I use the word brutal on purpose because it means you've got to make a decision to be savagely violent against anything that quenches the spirit. Anything in you anything in your church, anything about God that you haven't seen before, you're going to have to be brutally honest about every bit of that to be able to get where he wants you. You have to buy the truth and sell it not. And also wisdom and instruction and understanding. This is the key. This is where it all comes. We always think of this in terms of spiritual warfare. This is equally as true and us desiring and hungering for something more from God. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty through God for the pulling down of those strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity into the obedience of Christ. That's brutal honesty. That's how we get there. I've got to get to the place where Everything that he wants is what I want. That everything that he says I'm willing to do. I've been brought to that place several times. I was pastoring in Waxahachie, Texas, and God says, you're going to bring a change. I said, if I bring that change, it's going to challenge the people, and they're going to get uncomfortable, and they're not going to want to be there. He said, it's me or them. So I brought the change. And some left. But new ones came in. Because when new wine is released, people know it's real. And they know it's God. And they find their way there. But I had to take the step of faith and pay the price and be willing to give it up. And I remember getting with God, tears running down my face. I said, if it goes down to me and Cheryl, I'm going to do what you tell me to do. And that's where it took me. And the thing took breath. Like Mark preached. It got up on its feet again. I was 20 years in. How many of you know when you pastor church 20 years, you can get in a rut if you're not careful. Yeah, and I was there. I went to my office every day, and one day I got a revelation. Jesus doesn't have an office. What? Yeah, he was out and about in the community all the time. Uh-oh. I had to change some things. Our typical approaches is what we're doing. We've got to stop this is we work harder at what we're already doing. Well, if we work harder, we're going to get more. Well, what we're doing is we're working harder sowing the same seed that's been giving us what we've been getting. So we're not going to get anything more different, anything different by working harder necessarily. The other is let's create a new strategy. What, pastor? Another new thing? And we're trying one thing after another that we're hearing, trying to make something happen. Number three, this is the deadly killer that I mentioned earlier. I'm leading my personal preferences rather than God's preferences. And that's pretty tough right there. Because we've seen that before. That's kind of a frightening truth, to be honest with you. 
You see them leaving their personal preferences at the Tower of Babel, and they're being successful leading their preference. God had to stop it. Which is a frightening truth, everybody. Can you understand what I'm doing here in this session? I, I'm, I'm going I'm to challenge you. I'm going to push you to the wall about you getting what well, doesn't matter if we're young or old. We've got to be exactly where God wants us or we can't get there. Yeah. We've got to let Him do what He's got to do in us to get there. I've lived enough life, led enough circumstances that if I'm not careful, I think I'm smarter than anybody else in the room. So, you know, I'll tell you. Ray, me and you, we've got this, but I'm worried about everybody else. But uh, I've been kind of worried about you lately, too. Yeah. You know, we get that kind of attitude. You've got to be careful. And it doesn't mean we don't have wisdom and knowledge. But we can't let that become our guide. We have to let God become our guide. And the frightening truth is we can be successful building things that God did not ask us to build. That's kind of frightening. And I'm going to show you in just a minute. There are things that don't meet God's approval. If He didn't ask us to do it and we're doing it, He probably is not smiling on it. We can do things for God or we can do what God said. That's different. We can create things we like for God. Wow. Like Cain's offering. I'm going to worship you. Well, I wanted a blood sacrifice. Well, I'm going to give you this. This is what I want to give you, God. And he didn't smile on Cain's offering because he didn't give God what God asked for. He gave him what he wanted to give God. It's not the same. Not the same. And we know this warning, right? Many will say to me in that day, this is the part that bothers me. Many will say. In other words, this will probably be the method of choice. Many will say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? And done many mighty wonders in your name. And I will declare, I didn't know you. Depart from me. You were practicing lawlessness. I'm going like, wow. Wow, wait a minute. That's some pretty spiritual stuff that I want going on in my church, right? Don't you? I want prophecy going on. I want people to be delivered from demons. And I want signs and wonders. But it's kind of stunning to realize that those kind of things can actually go on and we can still not be giving God what He asked for. We can't let those things be the guide of whether we're doing what God's asking us to do or not. We've got to hear it from Him. I've got to be broken so I don't let my work fill me up so full of pride that I'm not willing to give God what He wants. What if he asks me to do less than what I'm currently doing? I remember that negotiation day with the Lord. My mom had went into the hospital. The doctor came out and said, 50-50 chance he's going to make it. And I walked outside and started praying. It was raining. I was walking in the rain and I said, what do you want? What do you want? I'll do whatever you want me to do. If you raise my mom out, and I'm negotiating with God, right? I'll do whatever you want. And he said something completely unexpected to me. Would you give uh, your ministry to me? Would you give it up for me? What? You called me to ministry. You would ask me to give it up? He said, you ask. 
I said, I'll give you whatever you ask for. As long as I know it's for you, it has to be right. And right there, I surrendered it. And I was going to Bible college across the nations that time, and I remember I went into service, and boy, I was depleted. I was depleted. And I said, Mom's up there in the murky. I don't know what's going on, God. And I'm depressed. And it was one of those services, right? You're depressed, and everybody's bouncing off the wall, dancing everywhere. <laughs> and God said, Rejoice before me with all your heart. What? Give me what I want. So, with great spiritual vigor, I said, Excuse me. Excuse me. I worked my way out into the aisle and I leaped. And when I did, the presence of God come down on me. And when I leaped, my mama came out of ICU at the same time. We have to give him what he wants. And he may ask for it all. But we will never be an orphan with God. We will always receive from the Lord. We just have to trust Him. So these are sobering observations. Many will say, in other words, that could be the method of choice. Here's a discovery. Does God have a plan for you? Yes. Well, God has a plan for Himself. And the plan He has for you fits into the plan He has for Himself. That's why you've got to know what He wants. And a wrong plan can have spiritual elements in it like we just saw in that scripture. And that those wrong plans with spiritual elements are unrecognizable to God. So we've got to give him what he wants. God just wants us. Let me see what time we have. We are supposed to be. I'm good. I'm good. Everybody okay? All right. God wants us to do it his way. That's what he was saying to Peter that day. I say to your Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is the church that Jesus builds. This is it. The one I build can get the stuffings beat out of it. The one he builds is different. And I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. And I think he has. I think there's all kinds of speculations about different keys. But I think some of those keys he's deposited in the congregation in the forms of spiritual gifts. Those are big keys that tells you what God has given you. And if you can group those, what if you found out that 25 people in your church had the gift of healing? If you don't have a healing ministry going on, you are missing the boat because there is a grace deposited in that church that will flow with divine healing. It's got to be more than what we can do. It's got to be what God has given us in the congregation, and we want to find out what that is. And whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever we loose will be loose. So here's a couple of observations. There's his part. Jesus built the church. Can I ask you to do something today? Could you please quit trying to build the church and let Jesus build it? He didn't ask you to build it. He said, I will build the church. We've got to hear that. We've got to hear that. He will build his church. You know, when he stood at Caesarea Philippi, 
and said those words on it, and the gates of hell will not prevail. Any of you been to Caesarea Philippi? It's a big giant rock on this rock. And carved in the side of it are pagan shrines and temples. When Jesus said, on this rock I'll build my church, he was saying it in the face of all kinds of demonic presence. And he says, right here, all those gates right there cannot prevail against the rock that I'm going to build. By the way, they're all out of operation today, too. They no longer exist. They're just holes in the wall. But it was a direct confrontation and declaration that he would build something that the very gates of hell could not prevail against. Our part is to build according to his power. Partner with him and do what he says to do. Just use whatever keys he reveals to you. Use those and follow the Holy Spirit. Be the best follower of God. Follow Him. And I just had the Holy Spirit say something. God says, I'm going to test some of you. I'm going to put you in a situation. I'm going to give you a little word. And I'm going to say, follow me. And you're going to hesitate. And you're going to have to step past your hesitation and your discomfort. And when you do, you're going to find liberty. And new wine is going to flow. I think that there's dreams and visions that are hidden that were given to you by the Holy Spirit that are setting aside of everyone. You say they haven't happened yet. Step into it. It's time. This is only one life we've got. It's time. Let's step into it. There's his part and there's our part. And we've got to learn something about following the leading of the Holy Spirit. This one challenged me very much. The wind blows where it wishes and you can hear the sound of it. Uh, 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 listen, listen. You can't tell where it comes from or where it goes. Well, I know the leading of the Spirit. You can't tell where it comes from or where it goes. But here's what you can do. You can hear the sound of it. Amen. That's different. In the world, we can say the wind's blowing this way because we feel it. In the kingdom, we don't feel it. We hear it. It's blowing that way. Follow that. So is everyone that's born of the Spirit. I'm just simply saying we may not be quite as good at following the leading of the Holy Spirit as we think that we are since we don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it's very important that we're emptied out and postured in listening so we can hear what God's saying. Very important to know what He's saying. We don't know where He comes or where He goes. So we have to listen carefully. We can hear the sound of it. So it's a matter of posture and surrender to be a good listener. Jesus modeled this approach because look at what Jesus said. He showed us exactly what to do. He answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say the Son can do nothing of Himself. He got it. He couldn't do it of Himself. But what He sees the Father do for whatever He does, the Son does in like manner. Whatever I hear God say, I say that. Whatever I hear the Father say, yes. do I do that. That's what I do. That's all I do. I just follow what He says and what He does. I follow. That's all He's asking from us. I believe He will build a church if we're good at doing that. That He can make it simple. It doesn't have to be complex. So here comes the part that I'm not going to get to cover today. And again, it's on this if you're interested. No push. Jesus could do nothing of himself. So that's what I'm going to say. I can't either. We can't either. I think I'm going to quit.
trying. I didn't say I was going to quit taking steps of faith. I said I'm going to quit trying to do something that he didn't ask me to do. He imitated the Father. So that's what I want to do. I want to be a good follower of Jesus. And that ought to get us there. It really should. So, how do we get that move of God? Well, we can't create it, but He's already moving. We've got to discover it. To discover it, we've got to be out of the way. So the process to move into a divine transition, how does God make new wine? This is how He acts. Threefold process. Crushing. If you want this, it's time for you to go into the vat. The vat is an enclosed space. It's personal. You can't see outside of it. You can only see up. And you see this big foot coming down. I have to be crushed. Remember old Watchman Nee's teaching? Brokenness releases the spirit. The wine is in the congregation. It's broken. The wine is released. It's the only way it's released. You can't get it out of there any other way. It has to come with a crushing. So that's the next session. It's about us being crushed and the process that God uses to get us where we're supposed to be so that we're out of the way so he can do what he wants to through our lives. Then the next part is what's left over after the crushing is this goofed up mixture called must and it must be dealt with it's a mixture of new wine cause 70% of the wine comes out in the crushing then they press it to get the rest of it and the pressing is there are broken skins there are stems there are seeds there is pulp and there is juice and you got to press down in that to get the last bit of new wine out because God wants every drop. In the congregation, underneath the surface, there are gifts and callings. We've got to go under there to get those up out of there to get what that leading of the Spirit is for the church. And then, after you discover what God's doing in the crushing in you and what He's deposited within your congregation, then you've got to create some new wine skins to preserve that wine. If you just, if you just plug it into what you're already doing, it probably isn't going to hold it. So new forms of ministry, like Jesus created some new ones. It might be, like what I said, you discovered 25 people have the gift of healing. You don't have a healing ministry. Now you do. Because people have the grace of God in them for it and an anointing for it. And you're facilitating what God gave you. And that's, so you have my introduction, these, and then the last one is practical application. I have a last session in practical application because here's the deal. Here's how we try to bring change as pastor. Well, I preached a message on it. 
then we're shocked that everybody's not doing it. Well, you've been preaching messages that they haven't been doing for years, right? They don't always do it. You go, man, I just preached on that. So how do you get people to buy in to what you're saying? Well, there are some very specific things strategically you can look for that will help people get on board with what you're saying. You can't just declare it and think everybody will go because they won't. Even if they follow you physically, if their heart's not in it, they're not in it. And so there's some things that you can do that will help people sign up. And it's a, it's a, a tool that causes at least 80, 84% of the people to get on board with you as you start to lead change into the future. So those things are there. What's the name of that tool? It is the uh, Rogers Five Factors of Innovation. In other words, in, in, if you get an innovative idea, what makes people want to buy that? So, and so all that's on that if you want it. And, uh, but look up Rogers Five Factors if you're interested. And there are groups of people that you as a pastor, if you say, I'm going, they'll go with you immediately. And then there's another group of people, if you'll give them a little information, they'll go with you. And then there's another group of people that you're going to have to spend some relational time with them. And there's another 15%, they're not going to go with you if they change your mind. If they say, we ought to do this, and you'll say, okay, let's do that. And then they'll say, no, we ought not do that. They're just not going to go. And the squeaky wheel gets the grease, and we always give too much time to the squeaky wheel rather than developing this other people that will bring the change with you. And so there's practical tools in that as well. So making new wine and kind of closing up here, we have just a, a few minutes left, five minutes. It's God's business. In fact, it's a family business. Jesus said, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. So the Father is the vine dresser. He's working the vineyard. Jesus is the true vine. The Holy Spirit is the new wine that gets released. And we're the branches. So we're all in this new wine making business. We're all a part of what God wants to do in bringing something new and something fresh. But this is what I'm saying today. And don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipation but be filled with the Spirit. In other words, what I'm saying is There is this cheap substitute that the world will offer us. And we can try all the corporate America tricks of the trade and it's not going to get us there. And what God tells to Ray may be different than what God tells me. And, I, and he needs to lead what God's telling him, not what God's telling me. All I've given is a process for discovery of what God's saying to you today. And I can promise you if you'll dig down through there, God will talk to you. And he'll give you something to lead that gives you the peace that passes understanding and you will be exceptionally fulfilled in giving God what he wants. So God's starting place is you, not the church. It starts with you today. That God always does that. The standard starting place, God always looks for a man or a woman that he can trust to do what he wants. And this is the scary part, everybody. I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap that I should not destroy it, but I found none. 
In other words, people that will go all in and surrender everything seem to be in short supply. I hope you're one of them. I want to be one of them. I want God to get everything He wants out of my life. And that we need to remember the Lord. So God's question is, whom will I send and who will go for me? And our dilemma is we could be our greatest hindrance. And that's why, as we wind this down, we need to be crushed. So with the grace of God, I would declare, happy crushing. Yeah. <laughs>